So if there was a need regarding quality after-school child care, how to deal with a rise in teenage pregnancy or vandalism, we weren't even an agency that was being asked to come to the table to help. Now we're at every one of those conversations and we're helping lead some of those conversations within the community. Welcome to an episode of the Interesting People podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Coville, the president and CEO of the Frederick YMCA. And actually, I'm a little curious. Is it both locations, the downtown Frederick location and the Green Valley location? Yes. Basically, I'm responsible for all of Frederick County. So it's the YMCA of Frederick County. So that's all the way up to Mount St. Mary's to the lower part of the county in both east and west. And you guys have actually a lot of buildings. and I've been here approximately about six and a half years in my current position as the CEO, and we have definitely expanded over the last several years. We're now in about, I want to say, close to 48 off-site locations. Most people think about the downtown Y being as the center of the Y functions, but when you throw in after-school child care sites, Head Start locations, our resident camp with the American Legion Partnership and the stuff that we're doing in the south part of the county, it adds up pretty quickly. Six years ago, I believe, is when you guys became the Head Start program for Frederick County. That is correct. Took over in uh, 2012 in May. It had been previously operated by the county for over 40 years, and they had done an excellent job with that. They decided at one point that maybe they shouldn't be managing the Head Start program, and so they kind of stepped back from that. It went into a year of transition with an outside group that took it over while they looked for a suitable agency that had the capacity and the infrastructure to support the Head Start, and the why happened to be the choice that the federal government, the Office of Head Start, chose. Timeline-wise, did you become the CEO of the Y, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way... 45 days later. (laughs) Really? Yeah. They had applied for the Head Start RFP, RFP in about a year prior to the CEO position opening up, so I was... I think less than 45 days on the job when we were officially awarded the grant. Your name's still drying on the door, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> it's about a $2.2 million federal grant, cash federal grant. It works out to be about $2.8 million worth of services because the Y is responsible for collecting and securing approximately 20% what they call non-federal funding. So it's in-kind, and that can be anything from donated space to operate out of to services, support services that other agencies might be willing to share with us, whether it's translation or horse therapy or whatever that might be. And so we do a really good job with partnering with a lot of folks in the community. So part of the grant is making sure that you can also do those extra donations. That's exactly right. We are required. It's not an optional piece to it. It is a part of the required federal structure. That's got to be an interesting balance between not only running the program, but keeping it afloat in a certain way. Yeah, you're somewhat limited with the budget line items in terms of, you know, what you can spend the money on. A lot of it is spent on staff resources that support not only the child that's in the program. We do programs for three and four-year-olds. So it's what they call early Head Start learning. It's supposed to be designed to give three and four-year-olds a jump start. So when they enter either pre-K or kindergarten, they're already where they need to be. They're not going to be behind grade level. They're going to be on point with certain basic developmental skills, whether that's reading or writing or counting. And then because we have a fairly large staff structure that supports the Head Start program, we're able to pretest children for hearing issues or developmental issues, vision issues. And then we also support the entire family. Part of your mission statement is like nutrition as well. Yeah. So you're treating the child and the family emotionally, socially, spiritually, health-wise, nutrition, and, you know, again, psychological, if there's any issues going on with the family dynamics. I mean, the definition of family 
family has changed over the last several decades from single parent families to grandparents raising grandchildren. You know, we've got kids who have parents who might be incarcerated. We have kids that are growing up in the foster care system that all qualify to be Head Start children. We have families that have kids with special needs. So there's a criteria that we use to evaluate whether or not a child qualifies to be in the Head Start program. It's not strictly just based on economics or it could not be economics. It could be one of any of those other six or seven or eight factors. So when someone applies, does that, do you guys have to get like approval from the government? It's all run internally. We make the determination and and we try to prioritize those that apply for the services. We try to prioritize them with the highest need. And then we typically end up with a waiting list of kids because we're only supported financially to serve. Originally, it was about 282 children per year. The Office of Head Start changed the format a little bit where they wanted some of the Head Start services and providers to look at providing at least a couple classrooms where the kids would actually stay with you all day long. So they have full day Head Start. So instead of providing a morning Head Start program with a certain group of children and then serving a totally different group of children for an afternoon Head Start program, they want you to do that as well as maybe take one or two classrooms where you're serving the same kids all day long. Oh my goodness. So they have some additional consistency with their learning and building those relationships with the caregivers that we have. So that means you're responsible for three to four-year-olds for like eight hours? Correct. Yeah, it could be at least eight hours because a lot of the children, we also provide transportation. So you're talking about kids that have to be transported on YMCA buses, brought over to the center. They might be there all day. We provide them with a nutritional breakfast. We make sure that they eat lunch. They might eat family style. So they're learning table etiquette and sharing and conversations and how to interact with folks during meals, which a lot of times, you know, I don't know when you grew up, what it was like in your household, but I know that we had dinner every night on the table at six o'clock and there was an expectation that you share how your day went and what you learned and what's involved in your day and, you know, what you're excited about. And nowadays kids are, the family structure is a little fractured at times Mm -hmm. where kids are going and being pulled in a hundred million different directions. In the six years, like have there been any big lessons learned or big changes you've made to the program since it started? We transitioned a lot of the pre-existing Head Start workers over Mm -hmm. under the Y umbrella. So that helped us a lot because, you know, we had never been in the Head Start business before. So employing folks that were previously working under that umbrella helped us those first several years. Absolutely. I've heard that you guys had another flood this year. That's still probably a major concern, right? Yeah, we're about 12 weeks post-flood for the second major flood in less than two and a half years. And we've been in the existing building since 1965. Mm -hmm. And in all of those years that we've been in that particular location, we've had some minor or nominal types of flooding or water intrusion, I would say. I wouldn't really call it flooding. Nothing to the extent that we have experienced over the last two and a half, three years. And to go through it twice has been absolutely devastating. I mean, besides the cost that's involved with, you know, just the repairs and the renovations, people ask the question a lot, you know, what keeps you up at night? And for me, when you have to go through a natural disaster and you run the risk of potentially having to close your doors and not provide your services, that's a big concern because there's so many people that depend on the services that the Y provides every day, whether it's Head Start program, child care programs, support groups for people that might have cancer, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, people just trying to get healthy. Anytime you have to shut down your services and you have a disruption in services, it can be very detrimental to families. 
I think the rooms used for Head Start are on that first floor. So that particular center on the first floor is actually what we call our early learning center. That is a licensed child care center. That is not Head Start. Oh, it isn't? No. But Head Start was adversely affected by this flood, even though it didn't happen in that building, because other parts of the community besides kind of North Market, Modder, and the Y, we saw significant flooding in other areas of our county. We have a Head Start classroom located at Lucas Village. Oh, no. And so that classroom was located in the basement of that community center at Lucas Village. And so we did lose all of the contents of that Head Start classroom. So that meant we had to relocate those children potentially to other classrooms if space was available. Or we had to end the services as of that, that May 15th date. That was going to leave us a little bit short with our federal required amount of days that we need to provide to these children. So those kids were definitely put on the priority list for our summer program. So any of those kids that were at the Lucas Village site became the priority group of children that we served in the summer so that they didn't lose anything during the summer loss. There's a lot of data that shows about summer loss learning and and the gaps that are created when you're not keeping kids fully engaged. So we made that group of children our priority for the summer. And we lost four school buses, too, that did belong long to Head Start that were parked on the main white campus. When you talk about removing barriers for people to participate, one could be economics and cost mm-hmm. of the program, and there's no cost for Head Start specifically. Transportation could be a barrier for parents to get their kids to and from the programs and services. We have very few self-transporting Head Start families. So we had four school buses out of our school bus fleet, I think of six or seven, that were 100% damaged. So think about how tall a school bus is. The water around the backside of the Y facility was up to the window. Oh, jeez. So that's, you know, you're talking about eight, nine feet of water. Yeah. We're still waiting on word from the Office of Head Start. We applied mm-hmm. for a special grant. We've asked for about a quarter of a million dollars. School buses, brand new school buses can run anywhere from 80000 to $120,000 per school bus. So you're talking about three or $400,000 worth of school buses. So we're hoping that we might get some special funding from the Office of Head Start. And then we're looking to private donors and looking at the operating budget to see if any monies can be moved around. And again, obviously we have flood insurance this time, even though we're not in a flood zone. So we're hoping that some of the flood insurance will pick up that gap from any other outside funding sources that we are able to secure. So with the buses, were there any other big surprises? Because I remember the boilers were a big concern last time. Anything that was in the basement still got hit, but not as significant. Think about a 95,000 square foot facility. We probably had 45,000 square feet last time that had water on the surface. Anywhere ranging from four to six inches to as high as 35, 40 feet. The second go around, 12 weeks ago, we had 95,000 square foot facility. That footprint didn't change. We had 45,000 square feet of that building that probably had surface water. The difference this time, it went from four to six inches, maybe as high as only 10 feet. So there were areas of the building that while it might have had water, it had less water. But unfortunately, some of the water that we did experience this time was what I would call really ugly water. I mean, it was like sewer water. So it was coming in from the ground. It was seeping in through Mm. the, the walls, through the basement, coming up through the sewer system. So we were actually classified as a level three contamination site in the child care center. That was definitely 100% gut job. Everything, including the flooring, had to be removed and replaced. We had put in place some flood mitigation systems. We had built up some retaining walls. We had elevated some outside HVAC and mechanical systems high on stilts so that if we ever experienced a parking lot flood again, you know, potentially the water wouldn't get that high, that those would be compromised. And we put in a flood plank system. Those things worked. Most of the systems that we elevated did not receive any water. The outside staircase that all the water 
that we believe the first go-round where it entered the facility, not a single drop of water went down that staircase. Really? It was more water this time. It was harder rain. It was longer rain. Water, if it pools anywhere, it's going to find the weakest area. It's going to find an area that might be compromised. So it entered the facility from above ground this time, not through the staircase, but through pipes, ductwork, windows, Mm. doors, things like that. And of course, it also rose from inside the building through the basement. The youth facilities, what are those used for then? If it's not part of Head Start, do you also offer extra classes? or Early Learning Child Care Center is licensed child care. So we serve infants up to the age of five. So it's for most parents, it's what they need in terms of in order to maintain their jobs and their mm-hmm. positions within the community. Parents rely on child care, whether it's a single parent or two parents working in the same family. And so when you have 90 kids that you're serving in a child care center, in that building and all of a sudden you have to close that facility for a period of time that's you know we're still determining how long that might be we kind of went into scramble mode so flood happened tuesday night closed the y on wednesday while we kind of regrouped and assessed the damages and strategized on how do we relocate programs and where do we relocate programs temporarily we were able to partner with the beth shalom center across the street so all 90 of those children we were given permission and had emergency licensing so we could start programming in that space by the following tuesday so we technically only were not operating or providing that licensed child care to the community for four days. That's incredible. It was pretty incredible. And we actually opened up the upper level or the main level of the Y by Saturday. And we had the pool open by the following Friday. So we were working really hard behind the scenes. The big difference between two and a half years ago to this time, we lost power to the main facility two and a half years ago. And we didn't have power for several weeks. So when you don't have power, you don't have air, you don't have ventilation, you don't have air circulating, you don't have humidifiers working properly. And so the building as a whole was very stale and had, you know, horrible smells to it. Because we never lost power completely this time, we were able to keep the air circulating, we were able to keep the AC running. And so the second floor, you couldn't tell that there was a lot of damage from the first floor. We just were able to keep the air quality pretty clean right from the start. And so we were able to go in then and close off the areas that we we needed to and just really focus on that. So for the most part, I'd say 70% mm-hmm. of the operation was back up and running within the first week. 45 days later, we had the childcare relocated back there. And the same thing with other areas like the swimming pool was up and running within a week. Took a little bit longer to mm-hmm. replace flooring and aerobics rooms and racquetball courts. Kudos to my staff team. Kudos to a lot of the local contractors that made the YMCA a priority and put us at the top of the list for cleanup and volunteer work and just the repair. That building itself, I love hanging out at the Frederick Wimsey. There's a lot of history in that building. You have like all the pictures of the older athletes. My favorite little Easter egg is if people look on the first floor, one of the old sponsor bricks says 100 FM WFRE, which is our old frequency. Really cool. I have to go down there and look at that. I know exactly where you're talking about it, the tiles that we have down there. So yeah, that was pre-me, obviously, when they did that probably back in the 70s, early 80s. That Y has actually had three or four different renovations to it. And for an older facility, I think it functions pretty well. It's kind of piecemealed together, but (laughs) it still functions pretty well and meets the needs of the community. But we're really excited about the expansion and having an opportunity to build another full facility Y in the southern part of the county. Hopefully within the near future, our plans are to 
get that building up and running and built and have it open by early fall of 2020, which I think will be a great asset to Frederick County as a whole as well. What's your history with the Y? Did you use the Y as a kid? What were you doing before six years ago? I actually grew up in Prince George's County. We moved to Maryland when I was five, and I've always considered Maryland home, but I was never exposed to a Y growing up in PG County. Went off to a small private college in Indiana. They had an independent Y there in Warsaw, Winona Lake, Indiana. That's where I got exposed to the Y. Started working there part-time while I was in college. Landed my first full-time exempt level position back in the late 80s. Going to date myself. I got offered a youth sports director and my annual salary was like $10,000. I was going to school to be a physical education teacher, but I got so enamored with the Y and what it stood for and understanding the impact that it can make on the community. I kind of morphed my part-time jobs into a full-time career. I've actually only worked for the Y and worked for the Y for over 30 years. So this is my fifth state and my fifth why. Really? Yeah. You're in it with the why. It's been a great reward for me, both personally and professionally. I can't imagine doing anything else. If this being like your fifth different why, what's it like being in the why community of Frederick? Frederick as a whole is a extremely philanthropic community. This why has actually been in existence in Frederick County. We celebrate 160 years this year. It's been around since 1858. It's actually the seventh oldest why in the country. Really? Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And if you've ever gone down and walked downtown between Court Street and Church Street, where the M&T Bank is now Mm -hmm. in the parking lot. There's some nice plaques there that kind of memorialize where one of the first YMCAs in Frederick County existed. So there's some good history there if you're (laughs) ever on a walking tour or riding a bike tour. But this is what I would say to Frederick. I love Frederick, and I'm pretty grounded in Frederick, and I see myself staying here for a long time. What I would give Frederick credit for is that both from the local city government the county government, other nonprofits work really well together. A lot of times you don't see other nonprofits working well together sometimes in other communities. They feel like they're competing with each other for either services or funding or or those types of things. I think the spirit of the nonprofit community really supports each other. And when I say that, credit to the county and to the city as well as I think they recognize, and so do the businesses, I think they recognize the value that the nonprofit sector brings to the Frederick community. Because you get a lot of nonprofit organizations that are providing very critical services from alcohol addiction recovery, from homelessness to sexual abuse to domestic violence, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. When you think about opiate addictions, I mean, you think about all these different stresses and pressures that we have in our society, and a lot of nonprofits are filling that void and providing those types of services to the community. If we weren't doing that as a nonprofit sector, then some other entity, typically it's a government entity, it's the county Mm -hmm. or it's the city, they have to step up and they have to provide those services. And they're not experts in providing those types of services. They can't be everything to everyone in the community. So they pick certain things that they know that they're good at, right? Mm -hmm. Road improvements, highways, parks, things like that, and utilities and tourism. But then they leave some of the other stuff to the nonprofit sector that has areas of expertise in dealing with people with addictions or teaching people how to swim or helping people recover from cancer, whatever that might be, whatever that hot topic is. And I think Frederick County really embraces that and they recognize the value that nonprofits bring to the community. And I have not experienced that necessarily in all the other five states that I've lived in working for the why. 
I clicked on uh, the program partners page on the YMCA website and you have to scroll for a while. <laughs> like building all those partnerships has to have been like a rewarding part of the last couple of years. It seems like every aspect of the Y you have someone that's either helped or you're helping them. Directly and indirectly, there's probably between 30 to 35 nonprofits that we help support in some way, shape or form. One of the things that we've done a really good job in doing in the last several years is changing the perception of the why. And I think our credibility within the community has increased significantly where the why doesn't have the answer for all of the problems that we might identify in the community or all the needs that might be identified in the community. But the why wasn't previously even being asked to be sit at the table to be a part of the solution for an identified need. So if there was a need regarding quality after school child care or a need regarding how to deal with a rise in teenage pregnancy or vandalism or truancy or whatever it might be, we weren't even an agency that was being asked to come to the table to help mm-hmm. participate in conversations. Now we're at every one of those conversations and we're helping lead some of those conversations within the community. And that's really been a huge shift in the last half a dozen years. What are some of the big things that the Y is looking to approach, especially in the next couple of years? There's a couple of things. Let's say rescue mission as an example. So we support the rescue mission. While we're not technically directly in the drug addiction recovery business, we are indirectly because we know that the folks that are doing great work at the rescue mission are trying to treat the person both mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, and physically. And for people to get healthy and eventually hopefully beat their addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, we believe that being active and being physically active and having access to health and wellness programs could be a part of their recovery. There's a lot of times, though, they don't have the means to be able to pay for access to health and wellness clubs. So the YMCA provides free memberships to the men that are living at the rescue mission. Same thing with, let's say, Faith House. So Faith House is a shelter for women that might be homeless, that might have children or don't have children. If the goal is to get them out of the shelter, to get them ultimately to be an independent living situation, they need to have a job. Well, you can't get a job if you have a small child because you can't afford childcare. And if you can't afford childcare, then you can't go on a job interview because you've got nobody to watch your kid. So if we remove the barrier and say, hey, let us provide free childcare to any woman or children that are staying in the faith house, because that's what we do. We provide childcare. We're not in the homeless shelter business, but we can support people that are in the homeless shelter business because we can help eliminate one of the barriers that some of their clients might be facing. So that's how we Mm -hmm. kind of support the different agencies that you probably saw on that list. And that's just two examples that I can think of. I also saw you guys are working with New Spire. Yeah, so we kind of expanded our relationship. I'm currently serving on that board as well to try to help jumpstart that because I believe in the arts. Personally, I go to the arts, support the arts anytime that we can. And so to partner with them is a great opportunity for the Y because we have kind of a target population is they've got the experts in the different fields of whether it's theater or puppetry or YouTubing or videoing or whatever it might be. But what they're looking for is the target audience. They're looking for that middle school group of kids they can tap into or they're looking for that school age group of children that they can tap into. And so I don't have to worry about hiring all these different specialty enrichment instructors. I can just take my captive audience of kids that we already know are Y supporters and Y program participants and then we can take them over to New Spire Arts and partner with them to get these kids additional experiences and exposure to things that they might not have ever even entertained looking at or being involved in. I can't not bring up the fact that you are the number one source for all the running I've done in costume. You have the <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the lucky, Did you lucky... win any awards, though? Did you no, ever... I, I you haven't won, won any of the awards. I, uh... 
I didn't bring my A game or my. I felt like my Santa run outfit was rather charming. I did literally have bells on. There you go. You have the Santa 5K. You have the Lucky Leprechaun. You have like a triathlon. We do. We have a woman's try coming up in September. We do a kid's try in June. The Santa run in December over at the Monocacy Park. And then the Leprechaun run is in the Urbana south part of the county, trying to establish a presence there and and get folks involved and make them more aware of the services and the programs that we do now currently there, Mm -hmm. as well as what we hope to do in the near future. I'd say if people are trying to get into a 5K, the Santa Run is a a little bit flatter of a course. I remember Urbana having at least one or two hills in that 5K. I ran it last year, and I think it definitely had more than two, but (laughs) yes, it was, uh, I I just remember I was, I was, it was cold, I think, the start. It wasn't raining this year, which was good, but I do remember peeling off layers, and if I saw a volunteer that I knew that was working the course, I was like, take my jacket. Here's my hat. <laughs> the time I got done with the race, I didn't have a lot of uh, outerwear on, but yeah, you're right. It is a lot of fun. It's a great way to bring the community together. What other events do you guys have? So our largest special event is our golf tournament, which mm-hmm. is usually hosted in the early part of May. We also do a clays shooting event, and that's going to be coming up in October. So if you're a sporting clays shooting person and you want to learn more about that or how to get a team in or you're interested in sponsorship, again, go on our website or you can contact our financial development office and we will definitely get you connected. So we're selling teams now and securing sponsorships for that. But we do that in Frederick County, kind of north in the Thurmont area. And that's been well received. And then we have our annual Hall of Fame. You kind of alluded to kind of the sports figures and the museum that we have. The YMCA Sports Hall of Fame was created, I think, 40 plus years ago now. I think last year we celebrated our 40th year. And a lot of the memorabilia and uh, the items that were donated by the athletes or coaches or radio sports announcers and television broadcasters that were into sports all lived or grew up and had you know careers within Frederick County at some point in time in their life. And so there's a committee that works every year to nominate anywhere from six to eight folks into the sports YMCA Sports oh, Hall cool. of Fame. And we have an annual banquet typically every year, at least recently, it's been the early part of February. The last two years, we've moved it over to the YMCA because we wanted people to see this kind of museum that we've created with inside of the Y that showcases all of these phenomenal artifacts from racing jockey shirts to bowling shoes to Olympic medal winners to cleats. You know, we've got professional athletes on multi-sports and college athletes and coaches that have some of the best winning records in college history are actually from Frederick County. It's a good way to get into the zone. You walk by all that sports history before you hit the fitness center. It's kind of fun to watch the kids kind of like stop and look at, you know, they make fun <laughs> of the shorts or how short the shorts are or how long the socks are. and But they look at the pictures and the pictures are just phenomenal. If, you know, you kind of just go back in time and take a look into that history and the, and the stories. We've captured a lot of them on our website as well mm-hmm. from family members and, and the participants and the inductees themselves have been willing to share their stories with us. And so we're trying to create a narrative and make sure that we showcase that for years to come. There's a magic and comedy show. So that happens in April and that's a great event. Tickets are really nominal. I think we charge $10 for the tickets to participate. We are able to partner with the Weinberg and we bring in this kind of old school vaudeville act. This guy's been doing it for years and sometimes he has acts that have been on the Americans Got Talent shows and he usually has a, a good variety of whether it might have a dog in it or you know animal tricks or a magician or some kind of music and it's a good 
clean family fun. We provide tickets to families who still might not be able to afford it. And we also, this past year, we changed the focus from supporting the Hillcrest Waverly area to supporting our Kids Unlimited. So Mm. any of our programs that support children with special needs, that particular special event is focusing that effort. And we did the same thing with golf. Golf this year, we used the focus for any of the net proceeds from our golf tournament was going to support kids' scholarships for kids that might want to participate in summer day camp. And so we're trying to do that with each of the events. So the Women's Try is supporting Pedaling for Parkinson's program that we have. So we're trying to bring awareness to some critical issues and at the same time support a a particular target population that might need some help. So rather than just be this global come and support these special events and it's all going to go to scholarships, it might go to a very particular cause within the YMCA that would allow somebody to participate that might not be able to. Does the YMCA stand for young what is it does that have a new meaning no 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 new meaning young men's christian association same meaning they've changed the logo several years ago we changed about five years ago the old logo was actually the second most recognizable logo in the world the first one being the red cross symbol the problem was even though everybody knew that that was the y logo they couldn't tell you what the y stood for and they couldn't tell you what the y did so a couple years ago we kind of refreshed the logo nationally we rebranded it and so we're just kind of referred to as the y because again we're trying to embracing diversity. We want to be inclusive. We want to serve everybody from, we kind of say in-house, we say from birth to death. So we have programs from parent and water baby classes to we have active older adults that are in their mid to late 90s. We have a lot of water aerobics classes and water arthritis therapy classes. And warm water therapy is really good for arthritis and for joints and just water exercise in general, especially people that might be struggling with some weight issues as well Mm -hmm. as back pain or joint pains. When you're doing something in the water versus doing something outside of the water, you're not going to have that same impact that you would have like running on a treadmill or running on the track or even cycling or riding a bike or something. So that's why the water classes are usually typically very popular, but there's even a subgroup within the water aquatics family. There's a group of women and there might be one or two men in there. I don't Mm -hmm. want to discount (laughs) them, but I know there's definitely a group of women that have been coming to the Y for decades and they call themselves the Water Lilies. They've been involved in the Y for ages and they're they're great supporters of the Y. The first time I ever took a tour at the Y, I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting the wrong thing, but when I walked into the fitness center, it's like really great equipment, tons and tons of machines, a lot of great variety. You guys put a very good job a whole bunch of personal trainers and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of people just think of the Y as kind of just swim and gym, and they don't think of all the other things that we talked about, whether it's Head Start or the specialty programs or the collaborations that we're doing to support other nonprofits. But when you think about the Health and Wellness Center, it's gone through a transformation as well over the last couple of years. When we used to give tours, you kind of go through the building, everybody takes the same route, mm-hmm. and you would dump you into what I would call the kind of like the big boy equipment. It used to dump <laughs> you into like the free weight area. Uh, and for some people that were coming into the Y or coming into any kind of health and wellness center and haven't been in actively exercising, that could be very intimidating. So we kind of rearranged and changed the space and looked at what was really needed and how we can make it more user-friendly, make it more accommodating and make it more inviting and Mm -hmm. less intimidating for folks when they first come in. Anybody can come into the Y and get a free orientation. We can go through with you and show you how to use the equipment properly. We have a kiosk that you can get tested in five different areas. You can log in 
in. You can do it from home, you know, if you want to exercise on the weekends or not come into the Y. But you could log into the active and it'll print out a suggested workout for you. And so that's also helpful. And then we do have the personal training for those people that might just need that extra push and they want to be held accountable for their new fitness plan that they've (laughs) kind of challenged themselves on. So again, we look at all levels of folks and we try to do our best to accommodate everybody based on where they are and their fitness level. Thank you so much for your time. Love talking about the why. Love talking about a big piece of Frederick City, Frederick culture, Frederick everything. And every interview, the exact same question. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to? I'm excited about two things. One is our partnership with the American Legion. We took over a 72-acre piece of property that the American Legion owns up in the Thermont area. And so we now have a resident camp. It's called Camp Westmar. And so we're still figuring out how to grow that and how to get people exposed to that facility. So if you're interested in outdoors, hiking, biking, fishing, kayaking, canoeing, get on the website, look at our Camp Westmar, come out there for the day, come out there for a family picnic. We also rent it for outside venues, for family gatherings, reunions, and we're trying to do some outdoor education during the school year, but we run summer day camp out there. I think that's a great possibility for the Y to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've really captured that market yet. The second thing that I'm most excited about as well is obviously the south part of the county. We've had a presence down there with the Green Valley Y and Express Y for 20 plus years. We have officially launched our capital campaign, and we're at a point where in our fundraising efforts and where we are with all of the research and putting all the complicated pieces together. We've secured an architect. We've got schematics done. We've got site civil engineer employed. We've selected a general contractor. And we actually have plans that have been submitted to the county. And so we are technically under the review process. And so if the review process is successful and we meet our timelines, that should take about 12 to 14 months, maybe a little bit less. We're anticipating that construction could take about 12 to 14 months. So we're really shooting for opening up the doors and having the new facility. It's going to be about a 55000 plus square foot facility with all the major features from an expansive aquatics center, health and wellness, child care, all those kinds of cool features that everybody's looking for. We're going to open that up if we hit our target dates by early fall of 2020. So it is happening. I know it's been talked about (laughs) for a long time, pre-me. It's been talked about for many, many years about the why's coming. And and I think there's a little bit of, I don't want to say a trust factor there, but sometimes people say, oh, you just keep talking about that. But I can say to you as a community. This is a real deal. This is, we've peeled back the layers of the onion. We've got all our ducks in a row and we are going to make this a reality and we're not talking about it anymore. It's it's actually going to materialize. So that is a huge opportunity for the community, not just the why, but I think the community as a whole. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Patrick, for having me in. I appreciate it.